Data Mesh Radio is provided as a free community resource by Data Mesh Understanding. It is produced and hosted by me, Scott Hurlman. I started this podcast as a place for practitioners to get useful information about Data Mesh, and we're at over 200 episodes. I've now left Data Stacks, you know, thanks for all their help in founding things, but I've left to start Data Mesh Understanding, which is also helping practitioners to get to the information needed to do Data Mesh well. We have free implementer introduction and roundtable programs, in addition to the more advanced yet affordable offerings. So please do get in touch if you're looking for more information on how to do, how to approach Data Mesh. Just check datameshunderstanding.com for more info. There's also a helpful organization of past Data Mesh radio episodes there if you want to dig into specific topics rather than digging through 200 different episodes. So with that, let's hit the funky intro music and listen to what you'll hear about in this interview episode. Bottom line up front, what are you going to learn about and hear about in today's episode? This one is a little bit of a different style. I interviewed Ben Stansel, who's the co-founder and chief analytics officer at Mode. Ben has been somewhat of a skeptic about data mesh or certain aspects of it, not necessarily about the broader goals and, and even some of the specifics, but more around, is there a cohesive implementation plan? What does it really mean? What counts as data mesh and what doesn't? So I, I think some of it has been uh, pretty fair criticism, and I think we need to talk more about when data mesh is right for your organization and, and have a little bit more of a specifics around what does a, uh, an implementation look like. So I wanted to have Ben on to have a casual conversation, share our context around this topic. This conversation really sparked some thoughts for me personally about what needs a company or organization has and what pain points they would try to solve with data mesh. If all you're trying to do is solve some reporting and lighter analytics challenges, I think data mesh is very much overkill. I think especially the ability to build out a full platform right now from a tooling perspective, it's just a, a very difficult task and it could be much more of an investment than the return is worth. So you get a bigger return from doing something like this, like data mesh earlier, but the investment cost is is rather high. And so I don't see for a smaller company, the return on investment really being there. I think you'd still want to adopt a lot of parts of data mesh, especially around dom- domain data ownership, treating data like a product, and the cultural aspects of data mesh. But I would look to something like Starship Technologies post from last year. I'll drop the link in the show notes. They were adopting some parts, but not all aspects on the platform side relative to data mesh. It's an emerging thought for me, and and it's not super well articulated yet. But I'm going to do a mesh musing to lay out some of my points. I think if you're not at the phase of doing machine learning or data science yet, I don't see 
the need to look to fully implement data mesh yet. Start the cultural journey, yes, 100%. And, but centralization has its benefits. If it isn't creating pain, centralization is a useful paradigm. It's a useful tool. Jamak has mentioned this in multiple talks as well. So back to the interview, Ben covered a lot about kind of the challenges around definitions and centralized governance around those definitions. What he's seeing is many companies are using similar technologies, but for different meanings of that word, the classic being what does customer mean? So there's tons of people that are just throwing these into tables and not clearly defining them. Obviously, Data Mesh is <laughs> looking to tackle that with very strong documentation. But if you aren't taking this challenge seriously, if you aren't spending the time to work through how you're going to set up your definitions, you're headed for you know the ha-ha-ha data mess or data chaos, right? You need people to be able to understand what it is that they are looking at in a relatively automated way. They don't want, you don't want to have to have people going and asking every single time, what does this column mean? So that could be a centralized definition approach like Intuit is doing, or a very decentralized but highly documented approach with the domains doing that strong documentation like JP Morgan Chase is doing. That is up for you to work out, you know, Juan Cicada's interview talked about how important centralization, decentralization decisions are. Ben, coming from a data analyst background, has seen or has some interesting thoughts about how important creating a mechanism for understandable data breakages is. Data breakages are going to happen, right? Upstream changes are going to cause issues with the downstream. Jesse Biquette talked about this too in his interview. Ben prefers that to be more in the middle of the data transformation journey when you think about um, one piece of data kind of flowing through rather than being pushed up to the domain team, which is where Data Mesh is trying to get that to live, that those domains understand that when they're making application changes, that's going to what what impact that's going to have on the downstream and mitigating the downstream challenges. He's saying that more you should not look to integrate things in such a way where um, when those breakages happen, you uh, you don't have an easy way to identify that there was a breakage and then fix it. And then it fixes all the downstream from that. It's an interesting uh, concept that we, we get into. And um, I'm still trying to process it as to what my thoughts are on that. Ben seems to agree that we need to make the data producer's job far easier by focusing on fewer data assets artifacts. You know, Data Mesh does this by consolidating them into data products and you know having the tooling around that to make it easier for them. And he's looking to do the same uh, to make it easier for data consumers by showing them where the maintained and supported data is. Again, Data Mesh does this via data products, um, but he's not really uh, specifically saying that Data Mesh is the way that everybody should be doing that. 
He pointed out that having many tables in a data warehouse, there's often little guidance as to kind of what's the good stuff, what's actively maintained, what's used by most people, all of that, that there needs to be those concepts. And again, you know, data mesh looks to solve that in, in its own specific way. Overall, I think it's an interesting conversation that will help you understand a bit more from someone who has more of a background focus from the data analyst world and is building products to help them deliver more value. A big takeaway for me is that just reporting in light analytics, you probably don't need to go the full data mesh yet, but it's good to get your organization aligned to slowly build out the platform capabilities and be prepared to decentralize when that centralization becomes a bottleneck. Okay, enough of just me. Let's hear from our awesome guest in this interview episode. Okay, I'm really excited. Today, I've got Ben Stansel, who's the Chief Analytics Officer and Founder at Mode. And uh, Ben and I were chatting a little bit on Twitter. I don't know if uh, everybody's familiar, but Ben is is rather Twitter famous uh, in the data community for um, a lot of putting out there what he's seeing, what he's he's thinking on things and, and kind of teeing up conversations for further uh, introspection. So, you know, uh, at first I think, uh, I, I wrote down that we were going to be battling to the death, but I, I rechecked my notes and it's more, we're going to be sharing our context and our thoughts and have a reasonable adult conversation. So, uh, Ben, if you could give a little bit of an intro to yourself and maybe a little bit of an intro to mode, and then we can jump into kind of where, and, and Ben is, is a bit of a, a data mesh skeptic. And so, I wanted to have Ben on to talk about where there could be holes in the concept and where we need to either create more context and content around where those holes are or acknowledge that we can't fill those or, you know, adjust the paradigm. So I, I'm just here to learn from Ben and hopefully everybody else's uh, can do that as well. And, and you know, he's he's pretty interesting and funny. So I'm, I'm hoping for a good conversation as well there. Uh, well, awesome. Uh, thanks so much for, for having me, Scott. Uh, and yeah, uh, looking forward to, to learning more. Uh, I, I It's fair to say that I guess I'm a data mesh skeptic, but I'm also like a, a data mesh newbie. Uh, so it may just be a, a matter of me figuring out I know nothing about what I'm talking about. Um, for a little bit of background, I, uh, as you mentioned, I am uh, one of the founders of Mode. Um, so Mode is a product for analysts and data scientists. Uh, basically a way for, for folks to be able to create and distribute and, and share analysis uh, and enable companies to, to be able to use it more easily. Um, so if you're a, a company that's that's you know, looking for, for ways for help your analytics teams uh, create the analysis and do the kind of work that they typically do day in and day out, uh, that's very much what Mode is for. Um, my, my background uh, is as an analyst. So I started my career doing analytical work uh, originally in D.C., um, and then for like policy work, which is very different than, than the tech world, but sort of structurally similar. Um, 
ended up working on on an analytics or data science team uh, and then met the folks that I ended up starting mode with, uh, which was based on some internal problems that we had at that company about the tooling that we as data folks needed, uh, like what tools we lived in, how we wanted to work uh, and the ways we wanted to be able to, to share work with other folks. So I've uh, been in mode now for a while. Uh, my role there has bounced around a lot as as it is is off the do for founders. Um, but currently focused mostly on, on two things. One is our own kind of internal data operations. Uh, and then the second is spending a lot of time in conversations like this, uh, just trying to, to understand sort of what the market's like, uh, what, what people are talking about, where the directions of, of things are headed, um, and kind of share my own thoughts on that. So, so a good bit of time is, is yelling on the internet in a blog now. (laughs) And I think that learning out loud, whether that's you know, that's the point of this podcast is is to have these conversations in the public because so many of these conversations sharing context and information happen behind closed doors. And I want more people to be able to to have access to that. So and Ben had had uh, we, we like I said, there had been uh, a bit of a Twitter conversation around some stuff. And Ben had written uh, a really interesting post that I think could be a good jumping off point for this. And uh, some of my my points uh, on this, a lot of it was like, what what are we actually trying to get with analytics, and what could be? You came up with this concept, kind of a, of an entity layer. There's this emerging concept of a metrics layer, and it starts to then become again that question of, okay, do we have 17 layers, and then is everything obfuscated from each other? Is it all abstraction on abstraction of on abstraction? But do we kind of have to do that rather than trying to keep all of our entire set of analytics in our head because that doesn't work? So like, how do you split those those workloads? I think this is an interesting concept for data mesh, but a couple of, I'd love for you to, to take us through it, but a couple of my takeaways from that were a lot of what you're pointing to is start with the why. And I think this is important in anything that people talk about when it comes to analytics, especially because people really love the technology, right? And I think that start with the why is like the most important uh, thing of, of what you were talking about. And um, you talked a little bit about uh, kind of data centric application development, but like, does that mean we have to retrain, replace all of our app devs? You know, modern data stack, you talked about kind of the integration sucks, but if we have data apps, does that create too much fragmentation and, and a fragmented experience? So would love for you to give a little bit about the the article itself and then kind of dig into those different points as well as, as we're going through the conversation. Yeah, for sure. So, okay. So on the, the idea of uh, a couple of things I'll say on the idea of these like of entity concepts. So, so there is a, a kind of growing recognition expectation. I'm not exactly sure what, but but conversation in the, the market about the idea that the data stack is the foundation for something bigger. That it's not it's not a set of tools meant for dashboards and for for people to sit around and do a bunch <laughs> of statistics. It's like meant for being kind of the backbone of an organization in a much bigger way than than we talk about it today. Um, or the way it sort of serves organizations today, really. It's not exactly clear to me what that means. Um, And there's a little bit of hand waving about like what actually that is, though I think that has started to become a little more clear to me that it's this concept of like data apps starts to 
starts to make sense. And, and so data apps mean a lot of different things, but what I mean by say data apps is not a shiny dashboard with like a toggle. It's not a dashboard, like not like a, a data interface. It's more of an application that's designed to solve a problem that has data at the core of it. Um, and the example I always use with this is Yelp, uh, which is like the yellow pages, but with data at the core of it. Like we don't think of Yelp as a tool to go like look at dashboards. We think of Yelp as a tool we go to to solve a problem. Um, but it happens to be that the way in which they solve that problem for us is they have a bunch of data about restaurants and they present it to us in a useful way. So I think like, what is this kind of future of a data platform look like? What is the thing that sits on top of that platform? Stuff like Yelp basically to me makes sense where all of us are trying to do jobs. Um, we're trying to sell to people or build marketing campaigns or make decisions about products or understand sort of like the financials of the business or whatever else. Um, and we should have like the apps that help us do that backed by a lot of the data that the business actually collects that, that can make us better at doing those things. So, you know, if I am a designer, when I am designing a product, the way I do it today is I open up a design tool, I start designing the product, I eventually show it to somebody, they make some suggestions based on the way that people use the product and be like, oh, nobody uses this feature or whatever. Maybe I do that research up front. There is a sort of more seamless way you can imagine of doing that where all of that stuff is integrated into the design experience directly. Whereas I'm looking at interface as a designer, maybe I would be able to understand how much people are actually using this button or using this feature as I'm designing it to make that that more effective. And so that's kind of what I mean by data app and whether or not that idea actually works or not, I have no idea, but that's that's sort of the idea. And we've had one interview in the podcast with Juan as Rosiers, who's talking about his concept of a data application, I think dovetails very nicely. It's the infusion of data into your business processes, right? It's it's that you're able to, whatever tool you're using, you're able to infuse your decisions with data rather than drive, you know, I don't like data-driven, but that whatever that tool is, you don't care. You, you I think, are talking about the end user doesn't really care if they're in Salesforce or not in Salesforce or whatever that is. It's that they're able to more easily leverage data to make their decision and that it's part of the the experience instead of having to go and go, what does my data say? Come back to my tool. What does my data? It's that it's that continuous um, integration or continuous infusion of data into what you're doing so that you're much more productive instead of going and asking somebody that that data is already in front of you. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Like, and and so I think you're right that people don't care if they're using Salesforce specifically, but they care that they're using their CRM because that's where they already are. Right. And so it's it's less about like, yeah, I don't care that Salesforce, but I'm going to use the CRM and I would like the data to be in the CRM because that's where I'm going to live anyway. And I don't want to have to eject to something every time I don't, I don't do it. It's also to me the way that people actually adopt it. Like one of the other things about the, the Yelp analogy that that I think is particularly striking is this is the way we all make decisions now. Like we we have all become extremely data driven in the way that we make decisions about where we eat with no training whatsoever. Like it is a thing that companies have been trying for years to accomplish and have not done of actually helping like make people use data to make decisions. Like there's always this cultural push of how do we make it more effective? How do we make it more effective? Yelp just did it and we all just adopted it. And part of the reason I think they did it is because they, they injected it so seamlessly into the experience. So meet them where they are. Yeah, exactly. Right? exactly. Like they didn't say, 
What is Yelp? Well, Yelp is a place where you go and look up restaurants when you find them somewhere else, and then we'll just give you a dashboard of that data and you can explore it. Like, no, nobody's going to use that. They said, this is where you make decisions. And guess what? We're going to just do it with a, in a better way. So, so yeah, so I think that that all makes sense to me is like, okay, these are the apps that, that we might be building from like a technical side. And so then the, the data platform to me is those things potentially work best is if they share a similar like understanding of what the world looks like. And that world is represented in data. It's represented in data in a data warehouse. So those apps should be, should be able to sit on top of that data warehouse. And like you get into a lot of like details about what specifically that means. It's like, I don't think the data warehouse is, is the transactional database for every app. I don't think it's like the apps have nothing. They, they have to sort of just be enriched with what's there. But the idea is core entities to me, things like customers, users, contracts, whatever, the core things that are at the root of, of what you're trying to do could all be shared. And then the apps themselves would enrich them with whatever other context is necessary for, for that app itself. Like the design tool would obviously have its own things, um, but you could imagine it also knowing who your customers are, uh, which would have to be sourced from, from something like a, like a data warehouse. And then there's you know questions of how do you actually get it there and that sort of stuff or like how useful is that? Those are questions I don't know, um, but obviously that starts to starts to edge into conceptually at least what what the data mesh seems to represent. Yeah, and I think what you know data mesh at the when you think about kind of the far left of the data product journey, I think Juan has talked really eloquently about this. He talked about there are three different types of data products. So you know data mesh is about preparing your data so that it can be queried in unexpected ways, but then you also start to have those very expected ways of that. So you have your kind of upstream data products that are producer aligned, and and those are for sharing data, not relative to answering a specific question, but a domain shares their data in a way that it can be used for lots of analytical purposes. And it, it's not, this is the query. This isn't, this isn't a table to answer a question. It's multiple tables to answer multiple potential questions. But then you start to think about the um, combining that into further data products that are downstream that are you know, answering specific questions. And then he talked about these data applications, exactly what you're talking about, but it's managed as an actual product. And it's not managed in the... CRM or anything like that, that the you're managing a product that is designed so that the those exact business processes can be specifically tackled. Because exactly what you're talking about, at the end of the day, if you're just doing analytics, you're not adding any value, right? <laughs> that analytics has to drive decisions. It has to be something, something has to come from it. Um, and what you're talking about of, of kind of these entities, it's it's weird because what I'm seeing emerge from people within data mesh is some are really trying to say, this is the definition of a customer. And some are saying, no, each domain gets to call their definition of a customer, whatever they want. And then you kind of, you just have to be able to stitch those together from the different ontologies of each domain. And so how, how does that power exactly what you're talking about? If you're talking for a company like Mode, where you're not selling 800 different 
types of products, it's probably not as difficult. But if you're talking about a company like um, even like Spotify, where they've only got one service, but is a customer the actual user or is a customer the household? If they've got a household thing, you know, you start to have those differentiating factors as to do we have to define everything? I think it's it's an interesting question. I think how, how do we stitch that together and how do companies think about that is really crucial. Yeah, and I so so this was this was something that that in response to that that entity post uh, Anna Filipova DBT wrote in the the they have the um, analytics engineering weekly that they put out every Sunday. Um, she wrote a response to it and, and really expressing a lot of these same kind of questions about, okay, this, this makes sense in sort of a, at first glance, but it gets complicated. And one of the ways in which she talked about it getting complicated was, yeah, exactly what you're saying. Like you've got these different, dev- like what is a customer? A customer could mean, yeah, as you said to, to Spotify, customer could mean me. It could mean like my family plan. It could be Taylor Swift. Like it could be the record label. Like who's a customer? Um, my, and my, my answer to that is like, that's exactly the problem. And that's exactly the reason to me why we need some way to define entities in a way that it goes beyond just tables, because we can't, I, I think it is a, it is an organizational nightmare for us to say, yes, we'll all use the word customer for these things and define them differently, depending on the context you're in. Like, that's exactly what puts us in the problem to need to do this in the first place is I go to Salesforce and customer means one thing and I go to Amplitude and customer means another thing. And like, can we just make the word the same? Like all it is, is a semantic problem. We don't, we don't need to say like the fight, like when I, when I, if I say at Spotify, I go to somebody and say, how many customers do we have? They're going to be like, what kind of customers? And then they're, I'm going to tell them the answer. And then they'll be like, oh, we can tell you the answer. Just, just make that the thing up front, use a term. So I don't have to ask that second question. Um, and like, there's obviously limits to that. Like you can't make every term 40 words long, but for core concepts of what the business is, to me, we shouldn't be having to like, we should be able to just say, this is what it is. Let's, let's move past the word customer. Um, and so I think that's, that's to me is kind of part of my thinking on this is, yeah, okay, that's a problem. I understand that problem, but let's just solve it by coming up with better names. And I think the only way we do that is we have something that enforces it, what data mesh entities, whatever, are a thing that like by creating a shared sort of single entry point for all of these concepts forces us to, to come up with better names and, and sort of better understanding of what, what these entities actually are. Yeah. That, that kind of global company glossary concept, it's, it's something that is difficult. Cause like you said, do you, do you um, kind of put as a predecessor word where it's like marketing underscore customer sales underscore customer, or, you know, all, all that stuff, it gets, but then you talk about like, you know, these multinationals, <laughs> 8 million different types of what this could be. But yeah, I, I get exactly what you're saying. It's, it's difficult because I think at the end of the day, what everybody is trying to achieve is again, just how can we get to a place where we can more quickly get to insights and insights that we can trust and that repeatability, right? Like I think the big challenge that I see in the way a lot of people are doing analytics is everything is one-off, right? It's this analysis is one-off, this 
data generation is one off, this data artifact, this single table that might have 30 tables that are, are dependent on it downstream in some way, it's a one off. And so how do you have that ownership? You know, do you have to have the data mesh concept? I don't think so, but like we need to to have more ownership around how we're doing everything with data, but then also significantly shrink the surface area. If if every mm-hmm. if every data artifact or you know data asset is is a first class concern, then none of them are. Mm-hmm. Right. So like, how do you, how do you do that? And how do you embed that into the platform to make it so that that's possible? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think that's, there are, there are also to me points where like that you hit limits at some point with that, like your point about like the giant multinational thing at some point, you know, Amazon's going to operate like different companies. There is no unified data model mesh, anything for Amazon at some point, you're like, we're just in separate companies. Let's treat it that way. Um, there may be like, you know, the executive level data mesh slash entities that aren't that, that are just like bank accounts. I don't know. And it's bank accounts from different different sort of subsidiaries. But as a, as a single, like there is no, to me, one, one anything to rule them off or something of that scale. Um, but, you know, I think... There is like a your point about simplification is really to me the crux of it, which is the the main way that I think all of this stuff ultimately has to get done is you start to cut it down to stuff where it's like okay what what at least can we say we share what at least can we say is like at a normal size company not Amazon what is something that we can all agree on like give give me one thing that we can agree on and let's like build from there as opposed to something where it's like let's let's try to design sort of the the entire model of the universe from go. Yeah, exactly. And and um, I think a lot of what you're talking about is people process, and that's not where people are really that excited to, to go in a lot of instances in the analytics world. I think you, you hit on something in your, um, and, and of course, we'll drop the, the link in the show notes to your um, article that I was, I was talking about, but around the, the modern data stack is that there's not a lot of intentionality around the way that the integration works right and so it's it's kind of everything is held together in a spaghetti sense and i think that makes a lot of sense for what what's happening in the, in a lot of people's world relative to data they're the data producers are making changes and it completely knocks everything out from underneath them so they're going to have to rebuild things anyway so why would you really spend a whole lot of time to build something that's incredibly stable if your foundation, you don't control your foundation and other people can change what your foundation is made of. Like, are, are you seeing more people shift that? And maybe you're, you're, you're talking to different types of companies or sizes of companies. You know, Data Mesh wasn't designed for the, you know, 100, 250 even thousand person type company, it it's dependent on how many domains and how complex your domains are. But you don't need to go the full data mesh route if you're, um, you know, a 150, 200 person startup, unless you're selling, you know, 50 different things. It's it's just not that you you have these 
challenges where you would need to to create a platform that completely abstracts the way everybody is storing their data, you're you should be able to come to more easy conclusions of what you're talking about. Of let's just figure out what customer means when we've got if we've got three product lines, we can figure out what customer means and we can. So, like, what what are you seeing from your customers where they're trying to get to that stability and that scalability aspect? Yeah, so so that's interesting. At least, so from from the people we talk to, Node has customers that are that are small startups, um, and then some that are very large. So, for instance, like Anheuser Busch is a customer. Anheuser Busch is a very very big company um, with complicated all sorts of stuff going on. Um, you know, I think that, that, and they're, they're going through not sort of specifically like data mesh problems, but they obviously have any kind of like digital transformation type of type of company is going to have a lot of things that are all scattered around and a bunch of, you know, various like ERPs and stuff like that. that they have to figure out some way to make sense of. And it's, and it's a big data engineering problem, whatever the solution is, you know, who knows? Um, I think that, that your point, like your, your point about, so say, say you're in that, that case, you've got like 50 products and they're all kind of run by different lines. Um, and they're, you know, not they're like, which is kind of the, the seems like the, the motivation for something like a data mesh to me. Um, what, what makes sense to me and like what we see from folks a little bit, like very indirectly having these conversations, but my, my general sense is there are two ways that people try to approach that um, to make that better. I'm a fan of one. I don't think either of them are like necessarily pro or against data mesh concepts, but one to me is essentially making it like durable in the middle. So, and this is like sort of more of the microservices approach, I guess, in, in kind of architecture where it's like, hey, we have 50 teams that are all producing a product, that all produce data about those products. What do we do? How do we make sure that like the CEO dashboard doesn't go totally sideways when somebody changes something five steps away that nobody knew was going to break anything? One version of that to me is like a very command and control. We go through very like rigorous approval processes and things like that. Um, there are certain things that get very locked down. Okay, I think like that sort of like actually centralization and, and like authority can be very helpful. It slows things down in some ways or whatever. But I don't I don't I sort of not necessarily uh, opposed to approaches like that just out of out of default. The other approach seems to basically be like put something in the middle that's a little bit of a circuit breaker that that is and this is again kind of the microservices bit where the dashboard will still break like. If I change the way that we define a product in one of our 50 products, the dashboard will still break upstream because or downstream from it because like it's using something that it can't make sense of. But do it in a way where like it does it sort of artfully where you at least know where it broke. Um, and so like will their revenue numbers look right the day that it breaks? Probably not because this one product will suddenly disappear from it. But can people know that? Yes. And like, is there kind of a standard for them to conform to, to fix it? Yeah. Like, is there kind of a contract of sorts where like, Hey, you team, you need to get your data in this format because stuff isn't like reading right anymore and we can't ingest it. Can you fix that? Okay. We can do that. And so like that, I don't know if that's, that I guess is kind of in theory, what, what data mesh stuff is. Um, but that's the way that we've kind of seen people try to approach it is 
put something in the middle where it's like, like there's a centralization in the middle about how data is then sent out beyond it, but, but basically put a breaker between the rest of the way data is consumed and the way it is produced through something that is kind of a single sieve that, that filters out stuff that gets broken. So that way, the, the main point is like, you can fix it quickly. It is you fix it in one place and all everything downstream starts to fix itself as opposed to like, great, we've integrated all these things in, in some ugly web such that if I change the way that we report on a product, now like this dashboarding tool is broken in one way and this other dashboarding tool is broken in another way and I have to go like keep everything in sync manually. Like that, that to me is where you, stuff starts to break in ways that you never actually see. That this tool will, will have the changes reflected. This one won't, nobody knows what's what. Yeah. The, uh, Jesse Paquette was one of our interviews and he, he was talking about with data testing that you, you want your things to break in an understandable way. So you want to set up those circuit breakers. But I think what Data Mesh is is pushing for, and, and I think um, Abby, who was uh, on another episode, had, had said that he had, he had chatted with you a little bit um, about what we're, we're pushing for is that the domain teams are the ones who own the data so they know when the changes are coming. And so we need to give them the tools to understand if you make this change, it will break these things in this way that they can know ahead of time. And so they can either mitigate that or say, no, yeah, we need to make the change. But then you can also know who you're going to tell downstream that, hey, you know, hey, CEO, that we're making this big change and it's necessary and it's going to allow us to launch this new thing. And it's going to um, it's going to mean your numbers are off for the next two days because we need to to do exactly what you've talked about of that artful change, but that you have that difference because your your operating model and your data model are different, right? And can we move to a way where we're only creating our operating model off of the data model and it doesn't matter that there are changes to the operating model because it's pulling the data anyway? And, you know, it might be storing some of its own data, but it's not it's not changing the data model. Can we get to a point of, of architecting our apps that way? I, I think that might be something that, that people start to try in 2023. I think 2022, people will be trying this data as a product concept, you know, whether it's the data mesh version of it, whether it's Eric Weber's version of it, whether it's kind of generally the industry talking about data products and like thinking about data as feature development, but like, exactly what you're talking about of how do you how do you know when you've broken something and how do you make it so that it the dependencies are clear and understandable and known and that you can say okay this was based off of x so when we make x change it's not kind of black boxy that your your dashboard or whatever comes out of it you're you're able to drill into that stuff. So uh, to me, where I think data mesh has some real challenges is in my head, I, I allocate too much black magic to the data platform. I don't think we're there at all yet, right? So if we're talking about providing these tools to provide your data model as an application developer, what do we really need to provide the application developer so they're not dealing with infrastructure, they're dealing with data modeling, 
And how do we make it so that they can actually understand that data model? Do we have to have that analytics engineer embedded or do we have to, um, you know, can, can we get to a place where we can abstract it, where they can understand that what their changes are going to do and what they're sharing and so that they're sharing their, their context, but that they're not doing a ton of extra work and having to learn a ton of new um, capabilities around data modeling and things like that, because application developers are already overloaded. You know, data engineers are way, way overloaded. Application engineers are, are overloaded too. So like, I think exactly what you're talking about of, of that artful of understanding things are going to change and things are going to break, but how do you put that in place? So it breaks in a way where you know what the break is, what caused it, why, and that when you do have that fix, it does propagate properly downstream is, is an interesting concept. I don't think I've heard anybody put it that way yet of, you need to make sure that the propagations downstream work as well. So, yeah, I mean, so I guess in this may be getting a little bit of a question of like, what is the data mesh? Um, there, there are, I guess, okay, so, so there, there's a way in which this makes sense to me. Um, I guess I have, I have three points here. One, there's a way in which this makes sense to me. There's there's a, a question about terms. Uh, and then there's the, the, like the model, what does it actually mean? So, okay, the way in which it makes sense to me, th there is, they're thinking of this as you have data producers and you have data consumers and those things are distributed now, like especially at big companies. Like, so increasingly you've got distributed consumers and distributed producers where there's lots of different teams producing data. There's lots of different teams consuming data. They're not themselves either. It's not like the sales team is consuming sales data and the marketing team is consuming marketing data. They are, but they're also mixed. Like the marketing team is producing marketing data and consuming data from everybody else and stuff like that. So you end up exactly. with like, a, a web or a mesh, if you will, of <laughs> like lines between teams that are creating data and the data they're consuming. Okay, that makes sense. The thing to me that seems like what we need to do in that place is it is it is basically funnel everything through a sort of central point that that at least so that so that if I am in a marketing team and I'm producing data that is consumed by 10 different teams, I don't need to tell all 10 of them that I've changed something. That when I change it, if I break it, I can tell one thing. And if I fix it, I can tell one thing. And the sort of contract that I need to adhere to about like what it should look like is one contract. So to me, it's like, and then on the terms part, th that architecture makes a lot of sense. Is that a data mesh? I don't know. Mesh to me certainly like gives an impression of like a web of things. I, this is, but you sort of, who cares? T to me, like the, the more important thing is it's like, there's a, there's a phrase, I don't know why I'm going here, but there's a phrase in football called the mesh point. Um, it's basically the point at which a running back and like the quarterback hands off the ball to the running back. There's like a period of time and they're passing by each other and it's called the mesh point. Like to me, this is less about a data mesh, but more like the data mesh point. Like it's the point at which there's this handoff of like we do a bunch of stuff at the beginning of the play that collects the data. Everybody sort of does their thing. There's a moment in which the ball gets handed off from one person to the next and a bunch of stuff happens after that. But as long as that mesh point works, then we can figure this stuff out. The way in which you get into a problem is if everything is scattered and everybody has their individual connection. Um, so in that case, like, okay, that that architecture makes sense. I think the, the last thing I'll say is, so what does that get there? What does it actually look like? I think this is where I get into like, what is the data mesh? Because 
and 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 in the conversation I had with with Abe, this is what I said. Like there is a, there is a sort of a hard version and a soft version. And to me, the hard version is technological prescription. It is something about like we need technology to do this. I think some of the original papers on data mesh are kind of like a little bit technologically prescriptive in a way that frankly I don't quite understand. There is like a softer data mesh to me, which is like analytics engineers are distributed. Like kind of that's what it looked like. Basically, like we're saying, hey, individual teams need to own their data products and adhere to some standard with what they produce to like this central mesh point. Okay, that probably means there needs to be some like data expert that sits on those teams. That kind of makes sense, especially at big companies. In some ways, I don't know how revolutionary that is because if you're a really big company, individual teams will have some data, like they, they end up sort of developing little companies underneath them. So, okay. But I certainly, that makes a lot of sense to me is like, you've got basically people on the marketing team that understand both marketing and understand the way to provide data to this central mesh point. And then you've got people on the other side of it that understand the way that data is consumed and how to consume data from it. And those two people need to be able to talk to each other at that mesh point. Oh, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Is that a data mesh? Like, I, I genuinely don't know, but that architecture or kind of org structure certainly certainly seems like a reasonable one, especially at a sufficient scale. Yeah, and, and so what I would say is there are a few points at which data mesh is, is pretty differentiated. One is that the, the way that you share data is um, so Jessica Joey Kerr from uh, Honeycomb IO said this on on Twitter, and I think it's the best way I, I've seen is is that you it's purposely designed for unexpected use. It's that you set up data so that it can be used to answer many different questions and that it can be combined. So the data producers are creating these data products, and those those are the mesh. When you think of service mesh. It's made up of a bunch of services. Data mesh is made up of a bunch of data products. And so you're creating these data products of your data on the outside that you're sharing. And then you have some standards and things that you adhere to so that you can combine data from different domains. And you have a self-serve platform that is self-serve for creating these data products, right? So the teams aren't managing the infrastructure to create these data products. They're managing the code that is about what data am I sharing, why, and how. How am I sharing it as in the format, not as in I'm managing the pipeline infrastructure or you know the Spark infrastructure or whatever. Then there's the self-serve aspect on the other side for the consumers. And those consumers, exactly what you're talking about, that communication as well happens at the, the mesh level. Is that in a data catalog? Is that in something else? But that internal data marketing of, hey, we've got a new feature or, hey, this change is coming. And, you know, there's the, the schema contract of, hey, we're breaking our schema contract. But there's the data contract, which is also the semantics. Is the semantics changed? And there's semantic drift. So, you need to have those mechanisms for communicating with people and, and understanding who is consuming it, but you're not having it just like individual tables. You're forming a lot more information into a data product. So you don't have that same surface area of I've got, I'm owning 47 different tables. I'm owning a product that is made up of 47 tables, right? And so, and then there's fewer 
kind of outputs to output ports is the the data mesh parlance of it uh, for people to come and actually access. And you try to have standardized access so that people don't have to learn a different UX for every single data product, right? And so the the governance team and the data platform team kind of work together to speak with the consumers to build those more standardized ways of accessing these things. And, and there's a standard place for understanding what is the data product. And so, you know, is that the catalog or is there some stuff around knowledge graph or is that there, do you actually literally have it just directly embedded in the code? And so when people pull a query that comes with them, like there, there's lots of kind of differentiating factors underneath, but really it's preparing your data for use for questions. And then once that data is out there, people start to use it and they start to say, this is a question that needs to be answered multiple times. So let's create another data product that is based off of these data products. And it has the embedded lineage in the code so people can see where that's coming from. And there's that automatic contract generation between those. And then you could again have something that is used to power those data applications, right? Or, or you say that this is our, this is, somebody was joking around on Twitter trying to say, let's get something trending. Let's do headless, be, let's do headless data warehouse. And someone just went, isn't that data mesh? It's like, kinda, right? <laughs> like when you really think about it, it's, it, you, you can create these, these data warehousing concepts so that your everybody can be off. You can say this is the golden query for answering what is a customer relative to this question, and that people then don't have to go and and try and approach the same question from thirty different angles because you can get that same. You could get different answers if you're approaching the same question from a different angle as to what is a customer, but you can start to as a group form those decisions and you can create these things that power these applications because exactly what you talked about in your article about reverse ETL I'm not a fan of it either because it's very brittle right it's very much I am my my product or I'm not I'm not having a product mindset I'm I'm having this pipeline and the pipeline is the first order concern instead of I'm having a place where this data lives and I can monitor it and I can really know what is going on with it, and then I do a direct push, right? Would you still use a reverse ETL product? Possibly, but you know, rather than the, as you called them, like horrifically monstrosity of Salesforce APIs. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, and, so and, and I think that I, all of this makes sense. And, and I think that's like, I don't, I don't, I don't think I disagree with any of it. Like, I, I think that's, that's more or less where we need to be in some it's, questions kind of a little bit, how you get there yeah. and, and stuff, but like the, the entity piece, the way to another way for me to think, like I kind of, if, if you want to, every idea is some old idea of just like repackage with new terms. Well, basically what these, to, to me, what the entity thing is right now, we have a bit of a problem where people will create data, whether or not they're individual teams or whether or not they're like a data team that's just creating data to represent data from Salesforce and from Marketo and from an application and like whatever data gets modeled on top of that and all those sorts of things. 
And then we end up with like sort of the, the edge of the model, like the edge of basically the DVT DAG, which is, you know, the, the, the dim tables or whatever, but you end up with a whole bunch of, and there is no elevation of one above the other. Kind of, as you're saying, like, like there are a lot of output ports because output ports are basically tables in your warehouse. And you may have some schemas that are like the important ones. And some people have these ideas of like gold tables or whatever. Um, but, but for the most part, like what you're really doing is you're saying these outputs are a measure of their trustworthiness, not of their semantic importance. And that to me is like the, the dumbest version of like an entity is what are your most important tables? Like just tell people to use those, tell them these are the 10 most important ones that, you know, yeah, we need, if you're probably customers, like to your point about like the questions we haven't anticipated, probably gonna have to do with customers, probably have to do with products, probably gonna have to do with like revenue. Let's just make it those things. Entities are potentially like a slightly better abstraction of how you can consume that. So it's saying, okay, like in addition to you just being like literally a table in a database that we say we recommend querying these first, you have an endpoint that's like a little cleaner, but effectively all it is is saying you've got a bunch of data in your warehouse. It's messy. Yeah, you've modeled it and cleaned it up. It's not messy in that sense. It's just like overwhelming. How do we identify the things that matter? How do we how do we cut down on the output ports? And then like the people who are creating those, those like sourcing the data, whether or not they're the analytics team or a data team or some other department that's like, you know, a diff, uh, distributed one, recognizing that those are the ones we really have to be careful about maintaining. Like if we're going to break the thing that is one of these output ports, we got to be careful about breaking that because that's the stuff that everybody uses. And so like then reverse ETL is, yeah, and this is kind of the point in the post, reverse ETL is rather than just reading from any of these scattered tables, it's saying no, the reverse ETL just uses these output ports. And it's essentially like, again, it's a funnel. It's, it's essentially saying the data mesh to me, if that is its concept is, which I, in this case, I would very much agree with is, filter it down, like make it simpler, make it so that the people who are producing data kind of know the things that matter that they are producing and make it so that the people on the other end of it know the things that they can trust. And that there's some contract on the other side of it that says like, we're going to keep these up to date or we're going to do our best to maintain it or let you know if we break it. But right now, like the, the mesh point for all of this stuff is essentially the warehouse and whatever tables you find in it. And like that doesn't work or whatever tables you like check a box in, in the data catalog, which I like am a fairly skeptical of data catalogs. And I think like that's a very difficult thing to do too. So it's like, okay, let's, let's basically say, yeah, okay, we expose an API then for a much narrower set of things so that that way we at least have like a, the ability to keep those things organized. And like, I, if, if that's what ultimately this means, then like, yeah, that, that all kind of makes sense and how you get there, how the teams are distributed or whatever is a little bit more of just like the tactics to do it right. Well, and, and that API doesn't have to actually be an API in my, in my yeah. mind because yeah. it, it's, it's, we need to lower the bar to people getting access to data too. Um, and, and I would say, I, I'm I'm also getting the um, the bent of a data analyst from your your perspective because for an ML engineer the ability to go and spelunk right and actually understand what this data is and find high quality data but that it's not already formatted to answering that question is is of significant value and so having that in the same in the same concept and that you're not reinventing the wheel for ML, that you're not trying to say you have to pull it from a, a warehouse table, but that they can still get to clean data the same way, repeatable, all of that, 
becomes incredibly important as well. So that's where I think data mesh starts to really become very useful is that it can power both aspects of them and that you're you're able to use that usability, right? People can get access, they can find it, they can trust it, and they know exactly how much they can trust it because it's documented, it's measured. There's the, uh, the, there's the popularity, there's the M- net promoter score for tables or for data products. There's all of those aspects. There's that direct feedback where people can say, oh, uh, I want this additional data or can you format it in this way? And that person who's producing it can go and talk to those users and say, hey, we're, we're thinking about making this change. Would this be useful? No, don't spend your time on that. Oh, awesome. You just saved us three weeks of, of time to, to not have to do anything. So, it, But so much of it isn't the technology. So much of it is the people process, which people don't really want to hear in a lot of aspects. Yeah, and I, I think that that all that all makes sense to me is is it being, and I think to to to, to your point of like, hey, there there is stuff that is the the things that we have some, we have contracts to be able to say we want to keep these up to date versus other things. Agreed, like that, that you don't need to say the only way to access all of this is is through these kind of like blessed endpoints, whether or not yeah. those endpoints are tables or queries or actual APIs or whatever. The the point to me is like. Most people should know this is where I go. This is the documented stuff. This is the place 100%. where like, I'm going to start here. And if I go here, I know it's right. I can step off the path if I want. But like, you know, it's sort of at your own risk. Like, like we tell you to walk on these paths. And if you walk on these paths, you're not going to get eaten by a bear. If you want to step off that path, like, fine. We're not going to put a gate there for you, but there's bears. And so, you know, do what you want. Easy button, easy button, easy button, right? Like the, yeah. that you make it so that people can infuse data into their day-to-day decisions much easier. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So um, thank you so much for your time. I want to give you the the chance to plug mode again or, or where can people find you? We'll drop links into the show notes to your Substack and your Twitter. Um, I don't know if you're much on LinkedIn, but uh, let... I- I am there. Uh, it's it's not my social network of choice, but I am there. Um, but yeah, I Twitter has just Ben Stancil, and then there's Ben Substack is is where most of this stuff is. If you want to read, uh, and that's way too many words on esoteric data topics. And that's Ben with two N's. We will drop the link in the show notes. But again, thank you so much. Are are, are you still a a major skeptic or more of a minor skeptic? Or I'm. I'm like not really I, I I'm I'm not a skeptic I don't think of the concept. I think the question to me is like is it is the concept right? Yeah, sure. I, I would agree with that. It's more of a how how specifically do we have to define it for it to be what it is. So for as a as a a very quick analogy, there was an article I just read in the New York Times. It's by Ross Dothot or how do I don't know how to say his last name. Where he was basically like a lot of people are saying there's going to be a civil war. Is there going to be a civil war? And his, his point, whether a sort of broader point is valid or not, is a different question. But his point about the concept was, well, if you mean a civil war, we're all going to fight each other. Like, seems like probably not. If you mean a civil war of like people disagreeing and like there being kind of political strife, maybe, but that doesn't really seem like a civil war. And you can't like sort of use the term civil war, get people riled up about the first one and then tell people actually what you mean is the latter one. And, and to me, like that's, 
not saying data mesh is getting people riled up, but it's more like that's the question about the data mesh. It's like if you mean it in sort of the broad sense, absolutely it makes sense. If you mean it in the narrow sense, I'm like, I don't I don't think I fully agree with that, but I'm not sure. Uh, but it's more of like which version of it do I do I agree with? But I think I agree with the broad sense. Okay. Yeah. No, that I, I think and I think that's fair. I think we need a hell of a lot more proof in the pudding of this is this is how people are doing it. This is why this is the challenges. Like it's it's great on paper, but we need to have it kind of out there more. So yeah. Okay. Well, thank you very much for everyone, and thanks Ben especially for your time. I want to thank my guest today, Ben Stansel, the co-founder and chief analytics officer at Mode, for a very interesting conversation about the perceptions around data mesh and how. What, what challenges he's seeing out there in the world and that it gives us as a community a chance to really think about how we're approaching those challenges and making sure that we're tackling those as well. If you want to get in touch with Ben, uh, he is very active on Twitter and he has a very useful and oft updated sub stack. And both of those are in the show notes. Hopefully that interview episode was really useful for you. Please do consider getting in touch with guests from the show, from these episodes. Most have said they'd really love people to reach out to them. And please, as well, if you've got a minute, rate and review the podcast somewhere. It really is honestly super helpful for other people looking into kind of data podcasts to kind of get this in front of them. Data Mesh Radio is again provided as a free community resource by Data Mesh Understanding. It's produced and hosted by me, Scott Herleman. April of 2023, I left Datastacks, who were wonderful in getting the Data Mesh community stuff started, so give them a shout for streaming and real-time AI needs. But I left to start my own industry analyst kind of information-as-a-service firm. Our offerings are affordable, and you can do them on a one-off or a month-to-month basis. You know, read kind of, throw it on the credit card. Don't worry about like going through purchasing and things like that. The services include lots of practitioner roundtables, you know, one-on-one data mesh kind of planning or feedback sessions and tailored introductions to other data mesh practitioners that are focused around your topics of interest. You know, what what are you actually running into challenges with? We also have some free programs around introductions and roundtables that people can kind of check out as well. Check the show notes or just go to datameshunderstanding.com for more info or helpful resources. As always, if you have suggestions for guests or topics, please do get in touch as well and have a wonderful rest of your day. Now let's hear that funky outro music.